Um, before we pray, uh, Nicholas Shores is in a 400 building, not feeling too good. Nicholas Shores. So if we got a mom or a dad, uh, okay, we got, there we go. Just a little queasy, no emergency, but you know, need somebody. Okay, let's pray for Nicholas and pray for what God's going to say to us this morning. Lord, we do pray that you would uh, help Nicholas feel better and uh, bless his little heart, just heal his stomach. Um, and we pray that you would heal us in lots of ways. Uh, thank you for your word. Thank you that we can be glad and sing for joy precisely because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. Help us to realize that a little bit more this morning so that we understand that it's not the world's circumstances that dictates our mood. It is concentration on what you have done, will do, and can do through us that should gauge our emotions and our spirit. Give us that this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> For those of you who don't know, we are preaching our way through the Gospel of John. I love this book. I love this book. And, and we're having special focus. Excuse me, I get a little scratchy here. <clears throat> special focus on seeing eternity every day. Because John, along with us, believed that you didn't have to die to experience eternity. That if you had your eyes opened and the mind of Christ, you could see eternity in our midst, in the midst of our everyday. So that's what we're looking at. And, and we're coming upon this great passage about Jesus doing a miracle at a wedding. Now, let me tell you where we've come so far. We have come um, uh, with, with the huge concept of the Word, who is Christ. And that's where we began, because John begins with these huge concepts and then fills them in with experiences that, fill, that, 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 that uh, help us to live up to them. So he began with the Word. And then he went to the witness. Remember that? The witness was John the Baptist. And then he went to the witnesses. Last week we talked about the first ingathering of disciples. And now he's going to talk about, for the, next few, uh, for, uh, for the next few sermons, what they witnessed. He's going to talk about how Jesus turns the old into the new, or replaces the old with the new. Today we're talking about replacing water with wine. And next week we're going to be talking about replacing the old temple with the temple that is Christ. And, and, the, and, the, and the week after that we're going to talk about the <clears throat> old birth with the new birth. And the, and the, uh, the old uh, uh, worship with the new worship. And the old well water with the new well water. You know, it's just, oh, it's cool. So that's where we're going. Now, I want you to know that in many cases in the Old Testament, when the prophets had a prophecy, they not only spoke it, they demonstrated it or dramatized it. In some ways, that really helped people grasp the fullness of the prophecy. And so this morning, when we talk about the wedding, we have kind of a dramatization. And when we talk about the party that comes afterwards, we're going to have kind of a dramatization to help you really grasp the truth in all of the fullness. <clears throat> Now, if you will, please turn to the second chapter of the Gospel of John, and we will begin reading, and I will interrupt myself as I have a habit of doing. <clears throat> and on the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee. Now, let me, let me talk to you just a, a little bit about uh, the meaning of, the, of a wedding, both literally and figuratively. 
I want you to know that I think it's just, just, just cool that Jesus did, according to John, his first miracle at a celebration. Because, and it wasn't even a necessary miracle. I mean, he made some wine. Who needs wine for crying out loud? Don't raise your hand. I mean, it wasn't a necessary miracle, you know? It was just, it was just if you forgive the phrase, just for the fun of it. I mean, it, 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 it was a luxury miracle. It was a, it was a grace kind of, hey, how about this kind of miracle. He, ex, he was extending this sense of celebration. And, 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 and I want you to have the setting of this. First of all, I want you to know that I don't know how many of you have ever been to an, what I call an ethnic wedding. Wedding from the old country, you know? Uh, because weddings from the old country don't last for, you know, 20 minutes in the afternoon with a reception following at the hall, you know? Uh, we, not, not the West, we, we Westerners got some of that sense. I mean, we'll go to the reception and well, they'll be dancing and celebrating and laughter and so on. So we get some of that. But I want you to know that a wedding in Cana of Galilee, which, by the way, was Nathaniel's hometown. Remember last week, he said, hey, Nathaniel, you believe because I saw you under a fig tree? You're going to see greater things than this. And right away they go to Nathaniel's hometown. Homies. Nathaniel's with his homies. And, 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 and Jesus is going to do a miracle right in the midst of them. And so they go to this wedding. Now a wedding in the Orient, in the Middle East, in, uh, in, in, in Scripture, lasted for a week. Maybe two sometimes. So look at Genesis 29, 7 through 9, I think it is. It just, it, just, it just takes as a matter of course that the wedding is going to last for an entire week. And so it's no wonder that they ran out of wine. Because this, because this is what happens. First of all, you have these, this couple that has been betrothed to each other for a long time. So by the time the wedding gets here, they're really ready, you know? And they're really, really, and everybody's ready. It hadn't just been, hmm, you know, it's, they're ready. And then they go and they have the wedding... And then they take these folks from the wedding. They crown them like king and queen because all week they're going to they're treat them as king and queen. Now, during the betrothal, usually the groom has gone off and made a house for them to live in, the bride and the groom. <clears throat> now, nobody knows how long that's going to take, but when it's done, then they're ready for the wedding. So they transport, sometimes carrying the bride and the groom to this new home that they're going to have. And the bride and the groom hold open house for a week. For a week. Can you imagine that? Some of you have, have gone through a wedding recently. You can't imagine just doing anything the next day. But this is a week, and they, and they address them as king and queen. I mean, this is a real celebration, uh, and they've got crowns. Some of them had crowns on, um, and, 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 uh, um, and, and, and of course, it, it, the rules of the Orient is whoever comes in, you serve them. I mean, you're invited to the wedding, but when you have open house, it's open house. So it's absolutely no surprise that they would run out of wine. By the way, I want you to also see the figurative imagery here. Because throughout Scripture, there are different metaphors for our relationship with Christ. And one of those metaphors is the bridegroom. Christ is the bridegroom. His church is his bride. And, and <clears throat> there, are, there, are certain, there are certain innuendos in Scripture that, that his, uh, his, all his, uh, his disciples celebrated a little bit too much. As a matter of fact, um, they, they, they went to Jesus, uh, Mark chapter 2. And they said, hey, 
hey, the disciples of the Pharisees fast and the disciples of John the Baptist fast. One of your disciples fast. You remember what he said to him? He said, you don't fast when the bridegroom's around. When the bridegroom's take, gone, gone away, then you can fast. But not, not while the bridegroom's present. You don't do that. And so, so he, he had this imagery. Um, and, and he had the imagery of the bridegroom, but also of this great celebration. He was, in, he was accused, by the way, of, of way too much celebration, falsely. But those are the kinds of folks he hung around with. So anyhow, um, um, part, of this, part of this imagery is the foreshadowing of Christ coming back for his bride. As a matter of fact, in John 14, don't forget when we get there, Jesus says this, what you hear at many funerals, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. But I go to prepare a place for you. You know what I'm talking about? The bridegroom preparing the home for the bride. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. That's bridal imagery, not funeral imagery. And so there's this expectation that the groom's going to come back after preparing a mansion for us. And so, and so there's, there's, this, there's this sense of celebration. Now, now here's, here's what I want to say, and, I'm, and I'm gonna, I'll go rapidly uh, through the scripture, so I don't want you to worry about this long introduction here. Um, but here's what I want to say, because this is very much to the point. We operate in a world that's very discouraging, and pretty soon we can get the idea that, that Christianity is a coping device for discouragement. As a matter of fact, that's what uh, uh, Teresa of Avila uh, was saying. You know, uh, Lord, protect me from, 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 uh, from sour saints. Uh, and, and a lot of Christianity is exactly that. We've forgotten how to celebrate. We've got, we've got more cause to celebrate than anybody. Now, we go through life like anybody else goes through life. We experience the frustrations that everybody else experiences. We, we, we know the problems that everybody else has. We have to stand in line like everybody else. We have, to, we have to drive in traffic like everybody else. Our emotions are the same. The other day I was, I was reading a, 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 a story about a guy who had stood an hour waiting for his drive, to get his driver's license renewed. Uh, now, some of us have had this experience. And so by the time they took his picture, <laughs> he, he, he didn't realize how grouchy he was until he saw his picture. And he's standing there looking at his driver's license pictures. He said, man, he said, I must have really gotten grouchy in that line, much grouchier than I thought. And this lady standing beside him looks over and sees his picture and says, she says, oh, that, that's okay. That's how you're going to look when they pull you over anyhow. <laughs> most people begin to think of life like that. You start to resign yourself to life is one disappointment after another. And you know what? For a Christian, it's not. I mean, of course we can get rocked back. But if we stay there, it's because we've chosen to stay there. And we've chosen not to concentrate on what God's given us and the blessings that he's given us. I know that the highest things in life, even at a wedding, the most perfect things in life are, are, are still have, have little things in them that don't go right. The wine fails, you know? Of, you know, there's always something in there. The wine fails. Something didn't go right. I used to do a ton of weddings. I love to do weddings. I just can't do very many of them anymore because of my, my schedule. But, but I used to do like three a weekend at my last church, and, and I loved them. But I, could, I, could, I can name you very few weddings where some little thing didn't go wrong. 
And sometimes it was a big thing that made for great stories later on. I remember this one wedding. I just got to tell you this. Uh, way back when, you remember hippies? Anybody old enough in here remember hippies? Yeah. Well, hippies were around when I started my ministry. And, uh, and, and, uh, and, and I, I, was, I, was, I befriended two hippies. And, uh, and they had never been inside a church. They didn't know, they didn't know Christ at all. But, but after a while in our friendship, they came to Christ. They, came to, they loved him and they, and they just gave their lives to him. And they realized they were living together at the time. They realized this, this is not something that honored God. And they were sold out for God. And so right away they wanted to get married. Only they were going to move apart, you know, just to honor God. And so they, and so they moved apart. But they wanted, they wanted to get married, but they wanted their marriage in a cornfield. Well, I don't care, you know, whatever. And they, they, they had no kinship to the church. They'd never been in one. So sure, they'd want to get married in a cornfield. So, so we planned a thing in a cornfield. Well, this is Indiana, you know, and, and, and you, these, there was a place where these two cornfields came together and there's this little stretch of grass. And so they set up some chairs in the grass, you know, and, and, uh, and, and they're not, you know, they're kind of dressed up. They're not wearing shoes, but they're kind of dressed up. And, <clears throat> and the parents showed up and the parents are getting, I mean, they're, ready, they're, they're just dressed to the nines, you know, I mean, because the parents can't, you know, tradition. And the mother, I'll never forget, the mother had this like orange dress on. With, that was silk and had this chiffon layer over it. You know what I'm saying? You guys, chiffon is this filmy kind of stuff you can see through, but it's just kind of cloudy. <laughs> so anyhow, <clears throat> high heels, you know, she's out in the middle of a field for granada. You got high heels on, you know. Well, all of us guys, you know, the guys come up over the, over the hill, you know, and they got a wedding uh, organist, a little plug-in organ uh, uh, or at the side there. And... Uh, and, and, you know, all the guys' hair is flowing down here. And, and, and so we're watching. We're ready. And the, and the, mother's bride, the bride's mother was a little bit late. And so she's still coming in when we're coming in. She sat down. And I heard the whole crowd go, oh, when she sat down. I thought, what in the world was that all about? So I went ahead and performed a wedding ceremony. And, and it was a great celebration. I mean, it was a great celebration. But I talked to Becky afterwards. I said, what in the world was that sound? What was that sound? She said, Hunter, you wouldn't believe it. She said, when that mother was coming down that aisle, you see, it had rained just a little bit before this ceremony, just enough to get the bugs going. Two crickets had gotten up on this woman's dress in between the silk and the chiffon. And they, they had reached around rear high by the time she was approaching her seat. Now, I don't know if, if bugs can sense impending doom or not. But by the time she got to about the third row, these bugs were just jumping to get out of there. And they couldn't get out of there. And she got down to her seat and very ceremoniously sat down. That was the sound right there. Oh! Well, it didn't ruin the wedding. It just made for a good story. But there's always something in the world. But that something doesn't have to overcome the great things God is doing. Now, it says, and on the third day there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus was also invited and his disciples to the wedding. And when the wine gave out, always something, the mother of Jesus said to him, you know how mothers do. Mothers, mothers can make their request known without ever asking a question, without ever suggesting what to be, just with the tone of the voice. And it's not just Jewish mothers that can lay on the guilt. 
Mothers can just come to you like she did to Jesus. And she said, they have no wine. And Jesus knew perfectly well what she meant. She never said a word. He knew what she meant. Now look at what Jesus says. This is interesting. Jesus said to her, woman, what do I have to do with you? My hour has not yet come. Now, there's been so much ink spilled trying to explain these couple of sentences. But let me give you just an overarching thing that no matter how you interpret this, it still fits. Okay? Some people have said he was just goofing off with her. There's a little twinkle in his eye. Some people said this, this whole, my hour has not yet come. I mean, they, they, he could be, he could be uh, visioning the Revelation 19 passage where he is the bride and the church is the groom, or I mean, he's the groom, I'm sorry, and the church is the bride. And, and, or he could, be, uh, he could be referring to his crucifixion, uh, or he could refer, be referring to the, to the revelation uh, and the manifestation of his public ministry. But we, we don't know. Uh, all we know is he was saying, you know, this is, a, this is an odd time for you to ask me this for such a, for such a huge thing that you're asking. But, but here's what I want you to see. I want you to see that he called her woman, not mother, not Mary. He called her woman. Now that sounds disrespectful. It's not disrespectful. He said the same thing from the cross when he assigned her care to one of his disciples. And he said, woman, behold your son, behold your mother. He assigned her care. So it's a caring term, but I don't want you to miss this. It's a distancing term. What he was saying to her was this. You can't order me around. And now, I, let me stop here. There's a difference between Protestants and our Roman Catholic brothers and sisters uh, when it comes to prayer. Um, because... Our Roman Catholics, and I respectfully disagree, I mean just really respectfully on this matter, believe that if they ask the mother of Jesus, then she'll order Jesus and Jesus has to do what she says because the son has to do what the mother says. So that, so that the prayer request becomes political or a sense of, of, you know, this is a way to get what you want. This is a specific verse in the Bible that says no. What Jesus is saying here is, and he says the same thing to the royal official in, in uh, fourth chapter. We'll talk about that when we get there. But what he's saying is there, there's come a, there comes a time in life when I will only do what my Father in heaven tells me to do. I don't take orders from anybody. I am not to be coerced. You can ask me any way you want. You can employ any means to get my attention you want. But bottom line, I will do what I will do out of the graciousness of my heart and not of the coercion of the request. Okay? And so therefore, any of us, when we're going to God, you don't have to hold your nose the right place. You don't have to, you don't have to go through motions. When he did this miracle, he didn't blow on anything. He didn't, nothing had to fall down or anything. You know, he just did it. But he did it out of the graciousness of his heart, not out of the, the pleading of the request or who made it. He's making that very plain here. So when you ask for something from God, don't ask it on a, on a bargaining basis. Just ask it as a simple request. And God will respond out of the graciousness of his heart. Okay. Then it says this. 
His mother said to, his, to the servants, now she knew he was going to do something anyhow because she knew his character. Even though he had just said, I'm not doing it because you're telling me to do it. But she knew he would probably do something. So she said to his servants, something that is good for all of us to hear and put our names in front of it. She said, whatever he says to you, do it. That's a great piece of counsel for all of us. Whatever he says to you, do it. If you want to see Christ enter into the situation that you're in, whatever he says to you, do it. Now read on with me. Now there were six stone water pots set there for the Jewish custom of purification, containing 20 or 30 gallons each. Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim. Let me tell you two things that, that, that are very important to understand here. First of all, those six stone water pots, symbolized by the picture on the front of your, uh, uh, they look very much like the picture on the front of your newspaper. Six stone water pots are symbolic. First of all, six is the number of man. It's the incomplete number. It, it represents man's effort to please God. But it is an insufficient effort. Seven is the perfect number. Six is the incomplete number. And so therefore, <clears throat> uh, the number is significant. Secondly, I want you to see the pattern here that Jesus always completes perfectly that which is imperfect and incomplete. These pots were there for um, the Jewish rite of purification, which recognized that there was, there was uh, uh, sin, and so symbolically and externally and partially and temporarily, it could be symbolized by the washing away of the dirt on them. But what Jesus was going to do in their life was not symbolic but real. What Jesus was going to do in their life was not temporary but permanent. What Jesus was going to do in their life was not external but internal. And what Jesus was going to do in their life was not partial but full. And so therefore there is this symbolism here of this ineffective approach of getting what you want. Now look what Jesus does. Mary's already said, whatever he says to you, do it. So Jesus gives these servants something to do. Fill all the pots with water. They didn't need water. So what he's giving them to do looks irrelevant. But they did it. Very profound lesson here. <laughs> Many times... God will give you something to do that doesn't look like it's going to have any effect. As a matter of fact, it looks like it's irrelevant to what you really want to accomplish. And you know God doesn't need it. God didn't need the water. He made the whole world out of nothing. Didn't need the water. But he gave them something to do that didn't make sense to them. That didn't look like it was answering the need to see if they would do it. And they did it. Very important. God many times will ask you to do something that looks like it's not going to make any difference. You do it. Because when you do it, you will see later on 
that he takes that kind of obedience and gives you exactly what will make the difference. Exactly what will complete the request. But first, you got to put in. First, you got to put in. And that's the next part of this. Look at what it says. It says, And he said to them, Draw some out now, and take it to the head waiter. And they took it to him. Another just little mini lesson in here is that Jesus doesn't need authority structures, but sometimes he uses authority structures, proper authority structures, to confirm what he's doing. And so he says, take it to the head waiter. And they took it to him. And when the head waiter tasted the water, which had become wine, and did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew. Here's a lesson for you. Everybody at that wedding party had wine for as long as they needed it. Everybody was blessed with a miracle. Everybody received of the goodness of God. But only those who had been obedient knew the miracle of God. Only those who had been involved in putting something in really received the fullness of the miracle, which was not just partaking of the wine. It was witnessing the miracle of God. Everyone in this church will benefit from this church. Everyone in this community, I think, will eventually benefit from this church. And that is as it should be. That is as it has been from the very beginning. Do you remember when God called Abraham, Genesis chapter 12, what he said to him? All of the families of the earth will be blessed by you. Did he say just the believing families? No. He said all the families will be blessed by you. All the people in this wedding party were blessed by those who had been obedient but only those who had been obedient knew that what they put in was not what they got out. What they got out was far more than what they put in. Let me just urge you, put in something. Put in something. Because when you do, when you participate, then you realize what God has done. You see it firsthand. And you're part of the people who worship God because you know he's moving among you. The rest of them didn't know. Never saw it. He was right there. They didn't know. Not even the head waiter. Not even the bridegroom. You know, we went up to see uh, um, uh, Isaac and Rhonda and Becky and I went up to St. Augustine Friday just to spend the day together and kind of hang out together and have some fun. And we went in and out to shops. And I, and I saw this sculpture that had this, I almost, I, I wish I'd have bought it now. I'll probably, I'll probably go back. But I had this little girl reading this book. And she looked so contented. But she was blissfully unaware of what was behind her. Because in the sculpture behind it, filling the sky were angels, wings as big as clouds. And all of them had their face trained on this little girl. She didn't know it. And then I, I kind of scooted around to see if there was any writing in the book that she was reading. And sure enough, it was a book on 
angels. And I thought, how appropriate for all of us. We read the book, we think we're getting the content, but we are so unaware of what surrounds us because we're not looking for it. They weren't looking. All they cared was, did they have wine? But they didn't look to see where it came from. They didn't have to trace down the the source. They just were satisfied in what they had, that little bit to partake of. If we would only look, we would be able to celebrate much more. The other night, Becky and I took our little grandson Noah to the mall, a little 18-month-old kid. He doesn't talk yet, but he waves a lot. (laughs) And if he gets just in the right mood, you know they got to get in the right mood. But we're wheeling him around, and you know, it's just a kind of just having fun with him. And every, and everybody that comes walking the other way, he's waving to him. You know, I could not believe how many people never look anybody in the eye at the mall. You know, they're they're totally unaware. So, and and he's trying to get some sort of response. But just the few who noticed. It was so funny to look at the expression on their face, you know. There's this little 18-month-old kid, you know, waving at him, and they go like this. <laughs> he's going, and they're going. And it just, it just dawned on them. I, I, I can't help but think that's like most Christians are, just going through life, looking what next door, what, where do I got to go next, and they never notice the presence of God among them. They, they, they don't look for the smiles. They don't look for the glimpses of eternity. Read these last few verses with me. It says, they did not know, or he did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew. And the head waiter called the bridegroom and said to him, every man serves the good wine first. And when men have drunk freely, then... That which is poor, you have kept the good wine until now. By the way, somebody needs to hear this this morning. There are some of you who believe that the best days of your life are gone. That's not true. That is never true with God. The law of entropy, that life becomes more and more disorganized and more and more chaotic, is not true when God is around. I want you to hear this this morning. This might be your message. The best is yet to come. You need to believe that. It says, this beginning of his signs, Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory. Now look at this phrase. And his disciples believed in him. Now his disciples already believed in him, didn't they? But what this is saying is that they saw him act in their midst. And so this filled up a little bit that chasm of belief they had in their head, but they needed the experience in their heart to really believe. I'm telling you, we've got cause for celebration. When we walk out of here today, we'll walk out of here. We'll walk out into the sunshine. 
We will have all the potential and the blessings that God has given us. If we look just a little further, we will see God actually giving them to us. And we will be able to celebrate him and the disciples will believe a little more. Sometimes I know it's tough for some of you to celebrate because you don't feel like celebrating. Some of you are hurting so badly. You've been crushed lately. And it feels like you're never going to feel good again. And so it feels like the celebration is for other people. You're just trying to hang in there. I want to say this to you. You probably need celebration more than anybody. And God wants you to celebrate more than anybody. I remember a story. Leo Biscaglia came home. This is years and years ago. And his father had just come in and announced that he had gotten fired from his job. Now back then, there were no government programs to take care of you. As a matter of fact, when you lost your job, you probably lost your, your meals because you had nothing stored up. And Leo says, I'll never forget what my mother did. My mother took several items from our house that had fair value. We didn't have very, anything of much value, but had fair value and went out and sold them. And he said, we had a feast that night that I will never forget. Some of you are very discouraged. And you say, you know, it's inappropriate that I would feast. It's inappropriate that I would celebrate. No, 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 no. It's very important that you feast because you're celebrating the goodness of God in advance of feeling the goodness of God. Pray with me. God, thank you for your goodness. Thank you what you have done in Christ. Thank you that it's not temporary, it's eternal, that it's not external, it's, it's internal, it will be forever. Thank you, God, that even though some of us feel like, uh, even though we've got a good life, we're the crickets between the, the silk and chiffon, you know, just trying to get out, it's impending doom coming. Help us know it. we're not the crickets, we're the wedding guests, we're the wedding party. And Lord, help us to be just that, the party people. Because we've got more to celebrate. We've got more to be glad about. We've got more to have in a deep sense of joy than any other people on the face of this earth. Help us to be that joyous people. As we go from this wedding into the reception, amen.